The views expressed and the opinions given by the individual host, guest, random reptoid, or chupacabra may not necessarily reflect those of AM950 Radio, its affiliates, or its sponsors. Now, it's time to step into the unknown. There are things people experience but never talk about. A shadow moving in the corner, flickering of the lights, a disembodied voice. We invite you to talk with us, share your story, share your experience, because this isn't just your story, this is our story. This is Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken. And this is Ghost Box Radio on AM 950, where every night we talk about the paranormal, ufology, Bigfoot, and so much more. My name is Greg Bakken. Thank you very much for joining me. As Patrick said prior to the show, that it is it is foggy out. It's I love it, actually. It's, it's, it's my type of weather. It's all foggy and dark and... Yeah, I like the sun once in a while, but this is kind of kind of more my jam, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, though it, there was, it was kind of a sad day in some regards because uh, I uh, brought my uh, truck. It's a 2004. I have a couple vehicles, but I brought my 2004 Ford Explorer in for an oil change and was given a uh, terminal uh, prognosis for my vehicle as uh, things are not going well inside and it's only a matter of time before my truck passes away. So uh, that's, uh, you know, I, we don't really talk about uh, people passing away. We don't really talk about vehicles passing away. But at the same time, I, I just, um, you know, it's it's kind of sad. I And, of course, I don't stop driving it. Like I drove it out here tonight and stuff, and I think I probably have – uh, five or so thousand miles left on it or something like that. But it is sad. It's sad to see uh, something that I, it's taken me all over the country. It's sad to see that it's uh, that's coming to an end. And it's like, it's nice to have a winter vehicle. Maybe this winter for us Minnesotans, not so bad, but uh, it is actually, you know, normally a pretty horrifying time trying to drive in this weather. So that's the next thing I got to try to figure out. Uh, so, here we are, and uh, one of my one of the things I find very interesting, and I've always found very interesting, is uh, the Amityville case. Uh, I've found it to be uh, very frightening. I'm confused because so many people have different takes on what happened there. Uh, we don't actually get a we we do, but we don't get a ton of people who are actually there really commenting on it. Uh, it uh, takes us back uh, really from November 13th, 1974, as Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family at the home that we all know as the Amityville home. Uh, and so in December of 1975, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved into that house. After 28 days, the Lutzes fled the house, claiming to have been terrorized by paranormal phenomena while living there now that's that sparked a movie a, a book a movie franchise but uh ed and lorraine warren who uh many of you know uh very much groundbreakers in any sort of paranormal uh investigation uh in techniques and 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 leading the field uh, especially from the 50s you know onwards uh they were they were brought in for the case uh and uh I've always wanted to know what happened. And our guest tonight, uh, Joe Frankie, 
uh, has been on the program before. Uh, we talked about the Warren Legacy Foundation. He had been investigating with the Warrens uh, since 1986. That means that he wasn't there, right? But there's a reason why that he, he is brought in because he was uh, given the full download of the case by Ed Warren himself. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, really uh, from a Warren perspective what happened during that case uh, and if uh, you have questions, please put it into the comments uh, and we'll get to them. But I, I really find it's very interesting. And uh, Joe, welcome to Ghost Box Radio. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me back. Thank you very much. And I first want to publicly say before we get into it that, uh, Joe, once again, thank you for being our, our guest at Ghost Stories and Beyond in January. Oh, we, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We could have we could have a lot of fun. We we had to stop because it needed to close the restaurant for the night, but we could have we could have kept talking for for some time. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been known to talk a little bit. So <laughs> it's just because I'm so passionate about what I do. Absolutely. And you know, if we don't get through everything or whatever else, uh, we can Always uh, bring you back on, but we can also bring you back on to talk about whatever you want to do. Sure. But but the idea of you know what what sparked me to want to talk to you about this is you know we've we have uh, long long telephone calls and uh, we just chat and talk. And one of the things that uh, you had mentioned was that there'd be times that Ed Warren would call you up and just ask you what you're up to, and you'd be like, "What? Mm. Not much. What do you need help with?" And he'd bring you down to their house and he would just he would he would what would, would say teach you right uh some of the cases that uh, they yeah had been on. i mean you know when I, I started out um you know a very good relationship with with ed and the rain i mean they were they were just you know they're like grandparents to me i i say that just about every time i talk about them because that's how i felt they were and i know they both loved my wife and i we were only dating at the time when mm -hmm. we met them but, um, you know, Ed would call me last Saturday or Sunday. Hey, kid, what are you doing? He called me kid. You know, he said, hey, kid, what are you up to today? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. Ed. What do you need? He's like, you know, why don't you come down and, uh, you know, for a couple hours and, and meet me in my office. And his office was uh, a little room right off of the museum at yeah. their home. And he would basically would sit there and he, he would let me listen to tapes and watch videotapes and you know, that's when I first learned of, um, you know, the cases, the iconic cases like Amityville and Annabelle. And I, I certainly wasn't there. I make that perfectly clear. Right. 1975, I was seven years old. No, know. no excuse, um, Joe. No excuse. No excuse. You know, I, I talk about this <laughs> when I lecture and people are like, oh, it's so cool. You're at Amityville. I said, no, <laughs> let me just make it clear. I was just a kid then, you know, but um the case itself, uh, I, I can only speak to what I was told and what I was taught by the Warrens. Um, I can assure you it is my firm belief, and, and everybody's you know entitled to their opinion and their belief, but it, it was not a hoax. You know, I know there's a lot of documentaries and TV shows and movies on it, and, and most of them get it wrong. Uh, okay. You know, but um, in, in my humble opinion, sure, of course. Sure. You know, people can believe whatever they want to believe. I wasn't there, you know again but um so you know the warrens used to have classes uh i think it was every monday night from like seven to nine at a little place in uh, newtown connecticut called the holy manor and there's a little back room you know not much bigger than a coat closet really and i remember it, it, with my my 
wife or my girlfriend at the time and I, and um, there was probably four or five other people. Uh, and those people I've lost touch with, I, I don't even know where they are today. I don't even think they're still involved in the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would the warrants would bring in their uh, files and their tape recorders and videotapes, you know, this is long before internet and stuff like that. We're talking 86, 87, 88, yeah. and then into the early 90s. And they would talk about the cases and show whatever video they had and play the audio tapes and the interviews. And uh, it was just really cool. It obviously show a lot of uh, slides, uh, photographs. They had like a slideshow that I've seen you know, hundreds of times probably through the years. And I was always fascinated. I never got bored of it. But they also would talk about the things surrounding the case that some of the things that happened to them um, while they were traveling home or to the location or at their home. They were affected by this case, you know, beyond being at at the property, Mm -hmm. you know, and some of the stuff was pretty chilling. Even to talk about it today, uh, it, it, you know, I've been doing this almost 40 years and I still get a little chill about this because, you know, this in my mind was very real. And do you think that uh, talking about it is dangerous? I've, I've had that question come up before. We actually had uh, uh, father Ken Torres on once and we had a caller. <laughs> yeah. And we had, we had, we had a caller come in and saying like, well, you know, if we're talking about this, isn't that dangerous? And we, we don't think it is, but what do you think on that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Ed used to say, I remember when he played some of the tapes from uh, the Enfield poltergeist. Yeah. Um, and he he, uh, he started playing the tapes and he, and he let it go for uh, 30 seconds, maybe a little longer. And he shut it off. He goes, okay, that's it, kids. He goes, I, we don't want to give it too much recognition. Right, right. I don't I don't feel that there's any danger in talking about it. I mean, I obviously protect myself. I have to, uh, yeah. you know, I protect my family. I've had a lot of things over the years happen to me personally in my own home, you know. Yeah. Um, but I've always been very protective of my family. But to talk about it, we, we, you know, I have to talk about it. That's what I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to, you know, when I lectured, I'm not only just there to tell stories. I'm there to teach people, people that want to learn, maybe some would-be up-and-coming investigators. And look, I always say I don't claim to know everything. I don't have all the answers. And there are a lot of good people out there that do the same kind of work I do. Uh, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not a know-it-all, but I'm still learning. Absolutely. You know, but I've been around a while. I've worked on so many cases uh, that I've been personally affected by. And the, the negative, um, I'll stop short of saying demonic cases, but, the, you know, the negative cases have affected me physically, you know, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. You have to be strong in those areas uh, of your life or you should not be involved in this work. I've seen many people affected to the point where, you know, I've actually said to a good friend of mine one day, I said, I think you should take a break from this work. Yeah. It's really affecting not only you, but it's affecting your 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 um, your job, your marriage, your 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 home life with your children. It's affecting your children. This stuff, this negative stuff, it wants to tear you apart. It wants to break you down, you know, uh, and it's happened to me personally. I'm not impervious to it. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have a big S on the back of my shirt. I'm just a human being. I'm a mortal. Well, because you have to have it on the front for it to work. Uh, <laughs> so, so how did, uh, yeah. how did Ed and Lorraine get involved with Amdeville? Well, from my recollection, um, you know, they were contacted, I believe by, I think it was channel five news reporter. I think his name was Marvin Scott. Okay. 
bear with me. I'm going back quite a few years. Sure. And they they were brought in by this news reporter. And at that point, I think it was just, you know, the tales of what happened to the Lutz family. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember them saying that, you know, when they were at the home um, with um, with other reporters and photographers and uh, a couple of psychics and along with Lorraine, and they all in the, in a certain way were, were affected by by the home. Uh, I remember Lorraine, uh, and there's there's video of her telling the story many times, where she was trying to go up to the uh, third floor yeah. of the home and near the uh, second floor, third floor. It was up near the sewing room, which was next to Missy's room. So the Lutz had three children: uh, Daniel, Christopher, and Missy. And Missy's room is where it was reported that she would see Jody, the pig. That's right. As it was, yeah. as it was seen. And, you know, it would, it would just like sit in a rocking chair. And the rocking chair had been uh, observed rocking back and forth, obviously, with no one in it. And right next to that room was the sewing room. And I remember, you know, Lorraine, she said she turned to Marvin Scott and said, I hope this is as close to hell as I ever get. You know, this feeling was so strong. It almost says she was like pushing against her like a wall of water that wouldn't allow her to proceed. Um, And it was very frightening. And almost at the same time, I remember Ed telling me that he had ventured down into the basement. And um, there was like a makeshift room. It was more of like a storage area, but it was called the Red Room because it was painted red for whatever reason. And I believe that they feel that Ronald... DeFeo, who murdered his family, who you know who was accused of it, um, had been into some kind of satanic worship or black magic or some some sort. Mm. Um, and the story is that you know the dog spoke to him and told him to murder his family. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's true. Right, right. This is what I've heard through the years, and you, you you and your audience may have heard this. Oh yeah. And Ed told. I remember him telling me this because this kind of freaked me out. I mean. I'm brand new. I don't know anything. I'm 18, 19 years old. And he's telling me this stuff. And he said that something overcame him in the basement. He said it was like taking a wet blanket and throwing it over him. And it kind of knocked him to the floor. And he said he could see like millions of pinpricks of lights, you know, and he knew, he said, he goes, I knew I was in trouble. So I knew something, something was happening. And he said he reached, I remember he reached into his pocket. He said he grabbed this holy water and he made the sign of the cross. And he said this thing lifted off of him, you, you know, and, you know, as he was praying and, and everything. And, he, and I remember he looked at me and I'll never forget this. He looked at me, he goes, Joe, I never touched the stairs. Oh, he said, wow. I never touched the stairs. I mean, he got the heck out of there <laughs> as fast as he could. And I remember Ed had said to me a couple of times, he's like, you couldn't pay me enough to go back into that house. That's how... That's how terrified they even were. Oh, gosh. you know. So when you hear Ed, and there's interviews where he said, "There's some homes where they tell people, walk out, lock the door. It's not even worth it for an exorcist to go in there." You know, some yeah. more. He remember he told me that he felt that that house was a portal to hell. That's how bad it was, and they were affected on the way home. Um, they would be talking about the case. I remember there was one instance where their car went off the road. Um, they were almost hit by a truck, uh, and then the truck like disappeared, so it wasn't really there, <laughs> you know. And the yeah. car went off the road and into a ditch, and the car wasn't damaged. They weren't hurt, but you know, just very scary stuff. When they would bring up this, this is why I say you're giving it recognition. You're talking about it, and this stuff 
can follow you. It does It's not contained to the house. No. Uh, Joe, why don't why don't we go ahead and do this? Let's take our first break. Uh, when we come back, mm-hmm. there's a lot more to talk about here about the Amdavel case uh, from the Warrens' perspective, given to us by Mr. Joe Frankie, who I appreciate giving the time tonight. Don't forget, put your questions in the comments. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. I don't normally do this, but I, I, I saw that John was on here. John, I don't know if you're still listening or not, but I do want to wish you a very happy birthday today. John Marson's a very dear friend of mine, and uh, I just, uh, you know, I just uh, hope that you had a great day. That's all I want to say on that. Uh, we are talking today on Ghost Box Radio with Joe Frankie. We've been talking about the Amityville case uh, that uh, Ed and Lorraine had worked on, I've been a part of. Uh, we wanted to... I wanted to get kind of a, a kind of from the Warren perspective a little bit of uh, what uh, was going on there, and if anyone has questions uh, that uh, please put into the chat. Now, I I know the answer to this one, Joe. Uh, Lynette asked, "Does anyone live in the Amityville house now?" And the answer is yes, to the point mm-hmm. that they don't they don't want to uh, acknowledge that there's ever been anything wrong there. They changed to the distinctive windows. On the on the side of the house for the attic, but you know one of the things that that I think some people have an issue with with the case itself, whereas so many people say wonder if it's legit or not, because after after the Lutz left, that there had been no reports whatsoever of mm-hmm. any sort of activity there, anything at all, and uh, it's been. A number of years, and I think the people who live there now have lived there for a number of years, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, I haven't been monitoring it closely, but I know a few years ago the house was sold and relatively cheaply. I think it was like eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. I did see that actually. Yeah, it's a very affluent area, and the homes out there are pretty expensive. Um, but um, yes, people live there, as far as I know, and people have lived there since the incidents with the Lutz family. My explanation to that, and I remember Ed telling me this, was that the family was targeted. Okay. You know, it was actually the Lutz family that was targeted for whatever reason. Um, but but that happens. And, you know, you can you can have what two people standing next to each other and one person will have an experience and the other will be like, I don't know, you know, nothing happened. That that happens with families. You get one person in the family may be targeted and no one else, you know, experiences anything and then they, now they think they're well i don't know she's crazy i don't see this or he's crazy do, do you so oh mm-hmm. i was just gonna say because it makes me wonder you know because you know there you know in, in the work that we do there is synchronicity um and there is uh there is no such thing as coincidence and uh mm-hmm. the thing you know is like we're if if we go off of the idea that uh that uh uh let's see his name uh ronald DeFeo, if uh mm-hmm. If he had the dog talk to him to kill everybody, was that all part of a master plan to target the Lutz? I don't think so. Uh, I don't even know if that's true. I, this well, is right. just yeah. hearsay that he said the dog would talk to him. His voice would come out of the dog. Now, is it possible? Yeah, I believe it is because I have an open mind about everything, the things I've seen. But um Ronald, he was a he was a troubled child. He he and his father 
had a blue hot and cold. They had a very tumultuous relationship from what I understand. His father would, you know, beat him and hit him. And, mm. you know, he was the oldest of the children. I think he was like only 21 when all this happened. Yeah. Um, so, you know, through the years, uh, the things I've learned, one of the things that's important to note, mm-hmm. if you didn't know this, is the Lutz has moved in a little over a year, like 13 months almost exactly, after the murders happened. Mm-hmm. A lot, from what I understand, a lot of the furniture from the DeFeo family was still in the home. And the Lutz family actually slept in the same beds that, that you know, that the DeFeos were murdered in. Now, that's, obviously, they weren't the box springs up. Well, it is. But it was, you know, the bed, the bed frames, and from what I understand, there were still bullet holes. Oh, for God's sake! And so, you know, in some of them, uh, and that that's messed up even for me. Yeah, I don't. I think the first <laughs> thing I would do is just clean that that house. Now, um, but that that's that's a strange fact, and I've, you know, I've I've had other people confirm that through the years. Again, like I said, I was a kid. I didn't know. Yeah, I wasn't there, but. I just thought that was really strange. I mean, they obviously got the house for a song. I think they got it for about eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, um, you, you know, even back in the day, that's that wasn't a lot of money for a house like that on the, on the Amityville Inlet. There, they had a boathouse in the back. And, but what I do know is this family was terrorized so much so that they spent twenty eight days in that house, and that was all they could take. And when they left, I remember Ed telling me that. When they first met the Lutzes, they wouldn't even meet him at the house. The Lutzes, I think, met him. I don't know. I don't remember if it was down the road at a restaurant or at um, uh, Kathy's mother's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, I've heard both stories. But the only thing they asked Ed and Lorraine to get for them from the home was the deed to the property. You know, the paper, the house documentation. They left everything. I mean, their clothes, their furniture, their valuables. From what I understand, George Lutz had one or two uh, custom motorcycles, and they had a boat. Uh, it was a you know beautiful home, Did... and they left everything, uh, nothing but the shirt shirts on their back. Yeah, because I think the Did... kids were in their pajamas. Right, there was the food the on the table, wasn't there? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there. I think so. I'm trying to remember, but I, I know that Kathy had. Uh, I remember Lorraine telling me Kathy had um, expensive cutlery and, and, and like pewter, I think, and, and china from her grandmother. And they didn't want they didn't want any of it, from what I understand. They just wanted to get as far away as they could. And they moved to California, just about as far away as you can get from New York and start a new life. But um, there was a, a documentary made by Daniel Lutz back in 2012. Uh, and Lorraine was featured in that as well. Uh where you know the one of the original reporters uh, i think her name was lisa something or other i know i know who you're talking um, about yeah yeah i, I, I think that was her name forgive me um I, I don't remember every detail i'd have to look it up but uh daniel you know basically backed up all of this i mean he was a child he's about my age now i guess so at that time he was probably anywhere from eight to twelve maybe you know, so old enough to remember this stuff. And um, the kids, from what I understand, or at least the boys, they didn't like George Lutz at all. Uh, George was a big guy, ex-Marine, you know, or, uh, you know, not afraid of anything. And this, this family was, was terrorized, you know, but he backed up, you know, most of 
what they reported happened really did happen. And he said, when, when they, they grabbed us and we left in the, in the, in the family van or whatever, uh, you know, with just clothes on their backs, I think he said that had pajamas on. That's how scared they were. 28 days. I think they moved in on the 18th of December and I, they left on the 14th of January, you know, but think about, think about that. I mean, you, you just walk outside your home, get in the car and drive away and never look back. I mean, how terrified you'd have to be. Well, and, um, and, and the idea too of, of that, of that, that damn pig on the rocking chair. I mean, that even just talking about that is giving me the, the absolute, uh, because I forgot about Jody, right? Is that, that's the name. That's that the, the name. Girl it. The, the Missy, the, yeah. the daughter um, gave it. And there's a, there's a, now famous picture that you can find online of the little boy peering out of the the room dude um, i'm just looking at it right now and you're bringing it up yes yeah well seemingly they seem like glowing eyes um and you know people like oh that was that was one of the investigators or that was one of the cameramen or look to me that looks like a little boy i don't know if it's john defeo you know um you know you could speculate all day long on that, but the, the glowing eyes thing, I look closely at it. It almost looks like they're not glowing eyes. It almost looks like they're glasses. Well, if you look closely at it, it's a, it's not a very good image. It's a very poor image, but it was taken with a, I, you know, obviously back in the seventies. I'm sorry. That's, that's a boy in that picture. There is no, yeah. no way there's any, anything else. Yeah. I mean, this is where I, I say this all the time. This is where your faith comes in and faith, to coin a phrase from the movie Miracle on 34th Street, faith is believing in something that common sense tells you not to. Faith is believing in something that's intangible, something you can't, you know, feel or touch. I mean, you know, does air exist? Well, yeah, we breathe it. It keeps us alive, but you can't see it. You can't really touch it. But, you know, I, that's what I say when I lecture. I'm like, you know, you have to have faith, and your faith is what's going to protect you. Uh, you know, people that have, you know, Bibles, holy water, crucifixes, that's nothing just but inanimate objects and that have no power. Uh, yep, there's the video. You know, unless you believe in what those things stand for, you know, and the power that they can possess, but it's the faith behind it that's the power. And that's the way I learned. And I found that to be very true in my own personal life. But yeah, that that's definitely a little boy. People are like, oh, that was one of the reporters, or that was one of the the the, the Warrens investigators that went with them. And yeah, I, I don't I don't agree. I don't agree. Um, it looks like there's glowing eyes. Um, you know, I like I said, I I look at it very closely. It almost looks like because I wear glasses, and it looks like the reflection. Yeah. But it's hard to tell. But I'm pretty it's sure. The, I'm pretty sure the photographer said that there was nobody there. When he took the picture, right. The, from what I understand, Ed told me that the the camera was set up to take a photo every so many seconds or whatever. Um, you know, it was like again back in nineteen you know seventy five. You know, the technology uh, was there for for something like that, but it was you know old film cameras um, didn't take very very grainy pictures. It was it was dark. Um, but I don't believe in my heart that that was a staged photograph or if that was somebody there. Because there obviously weren't any children there. No, it's not like somebody said, I couldn't find a babysitter, so I brought my kids, <laughs> you know, with me. You know, um, and that definitely looks like a child. It's been, um, it's been discussed that that may be 
the spirit of of John, the youngest, I believe, the youngest DeFeo boy. Um, and they do look similar, I will say. You know, yeah, yeah, there's the picture. Yeah, I have them on screen, yeah. Um, it looks similar. Um, so, you know, but, but here's one thing I did hear in an interview, a George Lutz interview mm-hmm. many, many years ago, because Kathy and George passed away back in the early 2000s. Uh, God bless them. But um, I heard George Lutz in an interview, and if anybody has heard this let me know or or if i'm wrong but he said when he when he showed that picture to his daughter missy she said that's the little boy i play with in my room nope now nope no thank you (laughs) the room the room he's peeking out of was missy's room oh for god's sake and next to it to the right i believe was the bathroom but to the left out of picture you can't see it was the sewing room and that's the room where Father Pecoraro was told to get out and was slapped across the face. Come on. And, where they, and Come on. they uh remember D- Daniel in his documentary, and, and if people haven't seen it, it's really pretty good. It's called My Amityville Horror. Um, he said that when the day they were moving in, there was tons and tons of flies. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, flies, it's 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 December, you know, but you know, and so his mother said, get a newspaper and, and kill as many flies as you can. So he said he was up there killing flies and he killed like a hundred of them. He said he put the rolled up piece of paper down, went downstairs to get his mother. They came upstairs and there's millions more flies and all the dead ones are gone. It's like they came back to life. And I think he even said the rolled up newspaper he was using was gone. So really weird things happened, but you know, the priest came over the day they were moving in to bless the house. And uh, he didn't tell anybody this right away. I think he kept it to himself for quite a while, but father Pecoraro said that, he was slapped. He felt, you know, by unseen force, slapped him across the face and said, get out. Well, think about that. I, that I, happened I, to any, anybody out there? What would you do? I tell that, you know, my audience is, I said, try to wrap your head around that. You know, if you're in, in a place and, you know, you're, I mean, you're, you're not just feel like you're touched or somebody pulled your hair or something. You're actually hit. I was picked up assaulted. and thrown across the room yeah. on a case. Yeah. By an unseen force, which unmistakable, you know, people are like, well, weren't you scared? Of course I'm scared. You know, you're going to be terrified because you're like, w- w- you can't fight something you can't see or touch, you know, um, it's a frightening experience, but so, I believe that that stuff happened. Well, you know, yeah. So you wouldn't lie to me. No. Well, of course not. No. And you no reason to lie to me. And Chuck, Chuck asked the question, as far as documentation, and you may not know this. Uh, I mean, this is you know maybe one for I don't know. But as far as documentation, is every occupant accounted for? As far as interviews, or have some never spoken about it? I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, some people get so scared they, they never speak of it. Yeah. Um, I wish I had access to the Warren's notes and records to look back. I'm going strictly from memory, yep. folks. <laughs> You know, of, of the stories as they were passed down to me. And I do remember quite a bit. My long-term memory is pretty good. My short-term memory, not so much. You know, where are my car keys? I just had them. But, you know, I can remember what happened. You know, I was taught 38 years ago. Um, but uh, it, this story, I believe, to be true. And what was conveyed to me by Ed and Lorraine was, was fact. You know, what they experienced and what the family experienced. Now, if there was any hoaxing going on, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not going to say there was. I'm not going to say there wasn't. But, um, again, 
what was there a ploy to monetize this story? You know, I, I don't, I, I think George and Kathy lost their shirts on this. I don't know if they ever really made any money. Yeah. You know, Hollywood gets a hold of these stories, like the conjuring movies. I mean, and they, you know, they get their talents and they take so many liberties with these stories and yep. they make, to make it more interesting. And Chris McKinnell, the Warren's grandson, my good friend, um, he lives in, in Brazil, actually. But Chris and I talk about this all the time. Like, if they would just tell the story the way it really happened, it's far more interesting and, and probably far more terrifying well, than, than what Hollywood does it, it's, to it. It's interesting you say that because I say this every time, and I do like the Conjuring films quite a bit, but normally at the end of a Conjuring film, they will play some recordings of the real recordings and uh, during the end credits, and yeah. that that's frightening that is very frightening and i do want to quickly say uh uh joe that uh, i think the the reporter that you were thinking of is laura didio laura thank you yeah laura didio i'm sorry i said lisa but i was close <laughs> yeah no i mean I, and i i couldn't think of, i couldn't laura, think of her, yeah yeah I couldn't think of her name either. You know, Joe, while we're at a we're at a stopping point here, why don't we go ahead and uh, take our next break? Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this very fascinating conversation about the Amityville case from the perspective of the Warrens told to us by Joe Frankie. If you have any questions, put them in the comments, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM950. And join me tomorrow on Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken. We're going to do one-question readings. We're going to have on psychic medium Debbie Strait. Uh, come on uh, come on in. Uh, put your questions in the comments. Uh, Debbie is fantastic, and uh, you can uh, ask her some questions, and she will give you some guidance. It's going to be a great time tomorrow. Please make sure to take the time and do that. And then on Thursday, we're going to replay uh, our episode, and this is one that, Joe, I think you'd be very interested in hearing, actually, the exorcism of, exorcism of Cindy Sauer, and uh, she is uh, a very interesting person, and she is our guest on Thursday. It's a replay, but uh, they, it's it's a very serious situation with that. She says that she is past it. I'm not so sure, to be perfectly honest. And then Friday is Casual Friday. We'll be talking about everything we've talked about this week, as well as headlines and everything else. We are in our third segment, and we are continuing our conversation with Joe Frankie. We've been talking about the Amityville Horror. Uh, we've been talking about it from a Warren perspective. And, um, Joe, this has been very fascinating. Uh, the one thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of the repercussions that uh, Ed and Lorraine had uh, received after visiting the house. You had talked about... Uh, like stuff with the car and and what appeared to be near near misses. What happened at the house? Anything? Yeah, you know it's funny you should ask that because I was thinking that during the break. I wanted to tell you guys this. Uh, so it was probably the the first time Laurel and I w were invited back to their home very early on after mm -hmm. meeting them. Um, we were invited over and. We're in the kitchen having coffee. So Ed's telling me about some of the th about Amityville, and he's telling me about this one story where after they had come home, uh, I'm trying to remember it properly, uh, so I'm, I'm accurate. And we're in the kitchen, and to the right, heading towards the living room, to the right, there's a set of stairs that go down into what they call the Halloween room. 
and had what's called a Halloween room. I've kind of got my own here between my ghosts and my lighthouses. <laughs> you know, um, this is my little Halloween room. And he said that he heard this sound of like sheet metal rattling, like thunderous sound. And he felt this like wind, wind like a, they were standing in a wind tunnel. And I remember he said, up from, from down the stairs, he sees this black mass, just this black, huge black mass coming up the stairs towards him. And I'm standing there and I'm like, you know, my whole body's got goosebumps. You know, I'm standing there listening to this and, and, and he says, it comes up out of the stairs. And I'm like, well, where did that happen? He's like, right about where you're standing. <laughs> Could you not? It's exactly what I, what he said. I said, well, how big was he? He goes, he's almost as tall as the ceiling. So you figure a ceiling's eight feet, you know, a regular ceiling. He's talking about seven, eight feet tall. And, you know, he said, uh, you know, that he made the sign of the cross, commanded it to leave, you know, holy water. And, and he said it kind of spun around and it, it and it disappeared. Um, and he's telling me this like, you know, like it's a joke. And I'm standing there going, I think we should leave. <laughs> you know? And, it's, it, you know, this is they, they had incidents like that that would happen in their home. Yeah. You know, and as years went on. I've, I've had a lot of stuff happen to me in my home and uh, now I get upset. I'm like, you know, I, I was on a case once years ago where I had this, this, um, this entity that was here. I could feel it. You could smell it. You could feel it, but I couldn't really see it. And I got so angry. I said, if you touch my children or my wife, I said, I will kill myself and come after you in the afterlife. Wow. <laughs> I actually said that aloud. I'm like, get the bleep out of my home, you know, um, but, you know, it taught me, you know, I don't command it. I command it in the name of Jesus Christ, Sure. you know, or, or based on your faith, but I'm Roman Catholic. I was born and raised Roman Catholic and, and I was trained by the Warrens who were very Roman Catholic, mm -hmm. you know, but it works for me, you know, yeah. and other styles and religions, you know, work, work for other people. But, um, this stuff really can happen. These things can follow you, uh, and they can affect you personally. And if they're really negative, evil things, they want to do that. Like I mentioned earlier about my friend, you know, um, and I'm still concerned about this particular friend of mine because he's still having issues. Yeah. Years, year, years and years later. Yeah. Uh, but, but Ed told me that story. And, you know, then he took us down for the first time. We were down in the um, museum. I had never been in there before. And I'm standing there and Laurel and I are standing there and, yeah, Lorraine yells down to him via phone call or she needed him or something. So he, he looks at us, he goes, stay right here. Don't touch anything. <laughs> Shoving my hands in my pockets, like no problem. Well, he wasn't going that long, but we're standing there. We're just kind of looking around and they had a beam that went across the top of the museum there and attached tacked to the beam in plastic sleeves were copies of, I believe it was Fate magazine. If you remember that oh, magazine. Oh, yeah. Fate's still around, yeah. Um, is, it, is it still around? Yeah, it's still around, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, he had copies of it, and they were like thumbtacked to, you know. And all of a sudden, Laurel looks at me, she goes, look at that. And, and we look up, and they started swaying oh, like boy. this. Not just one or two of them, all oh, of them. Oh, boy. And it started out, and then they started moving. And Ed came back in, and he looks up. He goes, all right, kids, we got to get out of here. <laughs> because it's not, it's not safe no he would say that he's like he was getting around get nine o'clock at night oh and he said he goes 
if I don't feel it's safe, he goes, I don't even come in here after nine o'clock at night. He used to say that, you know, between nine o'clock at night and like six in the morning are like the psychic hours. And, and that's when things would happen. And three o'clock in the morning be, being like the worst. And if you remember from, you know, the murders happened about that time yeah. you know, in the morning. Um, that's why I said, I'd like to see, I'd like to see the facts because, you know, a lot of this stuff I'm, I'm hearing from the Warrens, but I'm also getting from the many documentaries that I've watched and things like that. But yeah. three o'clock in the morning, as Ed used to teach me, is like the devil's hour. You know, it's like three. The number three is an insult to the Trinity and things like yeah. that. And, I mean, I believe that because I've seen so much stuff that support that theory, you know. Um, but he would tell us these things and about the car and, you know, what happened to Father Pacararo. And, and of course, the Lutzes, in case no one knew this, the Lutzes were put through a pretty strict polygraph test yeah. uh, by, by, you know, one of the, the top polygraph people. And they passed with flying colors, you know, um, according to them, they, they, these tests, they, they were not lying about their story and about what happened to them. And I, I believe them, you know, yeah. I, I believe I don't I may not believe everything I'm told because you, know, you ever tell somebody a story, it goes around the room, it goes through 10 people and it comes back to you. Absolutely. And you're like, well, that's not really how it happened. Everybody puts their little seasoning and flavor on the story. But, um, you know, it's bound to happen if it goes through enough people. So you know, I just want to know the facts. And I, I believe the Warrens were, were very factual. Now, now a couple a couple things here. You're you're telling me stuff, and I'm in the station by myself. So thanks for you know, that's that's great. Uh, but also, also the fact of the matter is, I you know we can't. I, I know we're talking about Amityville here, but I, I I'd like to talk about the museum a little bit more, if you don't mind. We have about uh, eight minutes left, and uh, you know it's like it's like. Of course, Joe's been in the museum, which is you know I think a place a lot of us would love to have been in or to be able to check out to, to experience but a couple two questions for you when you when you've been in there like especially the first time how did it actually feel to you and also were you would you be there and like hear stuff move around from out like not in the museum but you could hear stuff moving around in there or anything well i i yeah i've been in that museum many many times over the years As a matter of fact there was one time we were at um they're home for Ed's birthday. I think it was his 60th or 65th birthday party. Um, and another investigator uh, and I asked Ed, can we can we stay overnight in the museum? And he looks at me and goes, Joe, if I didn't love you, I'd let you. He says, <laughs> he goes, I really, seriously though, he really didn't feel that it would be safe with yeah. all the objects in there. Um, I'm trying to answer your question. You know, I did experience some things in there, but I, I just I want to be careful not to think that, okay, maybe it was just my mind playing tricks on me because it's psychosomatic. It's like, yeah. all right, I, here's the dinosaur that was involved in the the David Galazzo case. Yeah. This dinosaur was seen walking and, you know, with no batteries in it and a voice would come out of it, you know, a uh, demonic voice, so to speak. And, you know, you know, here's, here's the, um, um, the shadow doll that was, you know, ma made out of, there's actually human bones and human teeth in this thing. But, you know, to hear all the stories, of course, every little noise you hear, you're going to think it's something, True. you know, 
But Annabelle, I've got many pictures of me. You probably have one um, taken with Annabelle. Yeah. Uh, I would never, of course, I would always respect the story and not taunt Annabelle. Mm -hmm. Ed, he wouldn't put up with that anyway. Yeah. But, you know, um, Annabelle, I know Ed had told me many times, he's like, Joe, these things are going to stay in this museum. They're not to leave this museum. Um, you know, it's not safe. They're protected here. There's there's prayers set around them to to bind whatever energy is in them. Whether or not there's still energy attached to these things, I don't know. I haven't been in the museum um, since b before Lorraine passed away. Um, and uh, it's not open to the public anymore, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, um, because I, I think the town kind of came down on on um, on the family for that because yeah. it you know the house is you know on, a, on a small dead end road and yeah. it just was causing problems with the neighbors it's, it's unfortunate but it's an experience that you you and many other people definitely people tell me all the time oh, i wish i got to meet them or i, I wish i got to see the museum and um i don't know if if um uh, tony and judy um allow people private parties to tour the museum i'm not sure um I, well, but I, you'd have to, yeah you'd have to I, get a hold of it's, it's just you know to know some of the artifacts in there and what they've been involved in and where they came from i wouldn't tempt fate no you know i i you know i respect it and it's you know when i'm working on cases whether or not there's there's a paranormal problem i, I always treat the people with respect as well as any potential spirits that may be there because people that contact us, I don't feel they're making this stuff up in their mind. It's very no. real, no. but you have to dig a lot and find out why do you believe this? Why do you believe you have this? Do you watch these movies or TV shows? Are you into any, any forms of divination like Ouija boards, seances, tarot cards, because and I lecture about this all this stuff, and I teach people, and I say it's all about free will and intention, okay? And and you know, like the Ouija board, because that's one of the most common forms of divination. It's it's a tool. It's a, it's a board game, yes. Yeah. But it's the intent that goes into it. And you've got some really iconic cases, like the movie, the movie, the, the case, The Exorcist. The movie The Exorcist was based on mm -hmm. started with a Ouija board. Yes, it did. I don't know if, how many people know that. Yeah. Um, and I believe the infield poltergeist, the Ouija board, was also yeah. involved. The kids yeah. used to play with it. So, yeah. you know, I, I, had, I was down in Florida last September uh, lecturing at a conference. And I remember there was this nice lady in the front row. And, and I just finished the presentation. And we were on kind of questions and answers. And she raises her hand. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she's like, well, my 10-year-old grandson has a Ouija board that he plays with. Should 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 he not play with that and i just went like you know like yeah, this and yeah. i said man did you hear a word i just said <laughs> yeah, right. i said in my opinion absolutely not i said buy him battleship or hungry hungry hippo he doesn't need to be playing with a ouija board now that's not to say anyone that's used one is going to have a problem no but but again why spin the wheel and take a chance you're, you're opening it up because for sure yeah you're, you're opening doors you know there, there, anybody knows the the exorcist father gary thomas he's out, lives yeah. out in the san francisco area father gary thomas is very interesting if he's, anybody's ever watched any of his um lectures you can see him on youtube i've talked to him a few times on the phone years ago actually helped me with a case in vermont um remotely and he said you know they call them doorways or doorways to the demonic because there, there has to be 
a way in. Yep. These things just don't they just don't affect you for no reason. There has to be a way where you let them in somehow, whether you did it consciously or unconsciously. You know, but you know, from what I've learned and from my experience, using forms of divination, if you don't really know what you're doing, you know, you, you can be affected. And that's a doorway. That's a way to let these things in. Absolutely. I said, it's like opening your front door. Say, hey, come on in. But what are you letting in? I have people say, oh, you know, we have fun. It's it's the spirit of a little girl or a little boy. I'm like, no, it's not. I said, it, it's it's something more sinister that's per, that's portraying itself as a little boy or a little girl to gain your trust you know and, and you know and, and and you know pull on your heartstrings you know it's like yeah. that's that's what happened with annabelle yeah the annabelle story that started out where the nurse you know the nurses were treating this thing like like a real person buying a jewelry dresses putting it at the breakfast table with them they're, and they're eating breakfast if and if anyone if everyone has a chance there's a book called the holy water incident which is, starts the same way and, it, and it's disastrous results unfortunately uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, Joe, because we got to get going here. Uh, I Chuck, know, I get long-winded. No, you're good. Uh, <laughs> Chuck says, no one ever died playing Hungry, Hungry Hippos. I don't know if, I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can verify that. We got, we got the Ghost Box Radio fact checkers on it right now to make sure, but certainly probably not of any sort of demonic means or anything like that. Uh, Joe, uh, I, I'm hoping we can get you on again, uh, and we, you know, just talk about whatever you want to. I, I love, I love our oh, conversations love a lot. I, I love to, like I said, when I, when I do presentations, they're like, Oh, can you do 30 or, uh, 30 or 60 minutes? I'm like, uh, yeah, but <laughs> I usually ask for a couple of hours. Yeah. No, exactly. Really? Well, maybe sometime we can do a, a couple-hour show and just get you on. Joe, thank you very much. Really appreciate it tonight. Oh, I, I, I thank you so much. I love being on your show, Greg, and uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed the stories. But Absolutely. The scary part of it is, is these are these are real, true stories. Absolutely. These aren't just, you know, campfire stories. These are real stories. Absolutely. We'll be back tomorrow with One Question Readings. Thank you very much, everyone. Good night. <laughs>